makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Joshua. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with a good heart. This is a voice from Earth. It's good for all of us to be here. You are listening to First Voices Radio and Teokasin Ghost Horse, sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Esopus, or what Americans and Dutch call the Catskill Mountains. Regardless, it is the highlands of the Esopus and the lands of the Muncie-speaking Lenape. This is an all-native-hosted, all-native-produced First Voices Radio, and Liz Hill is the producer of First Voices Radio. You can hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as firstvoicesindigenousradio.org for archive, downloading, and listening. Our first guest today on First Voices Radio, Professor Angelique W. Eaglewoman, is a law professor, legal scholar, chief justice on the Sisseton-Wapadin Supreme Court, and has served as a pro-tempore tribal judge in several other tribal court systems. Angelique presents and publishes on topics involving tribal-based economies, indigenous sovereignty, international indigenous principles, and the quality of life for indigenous peoples. She's been the recipient of numerous awards in legal academia, has been a frequent speaker on issues of diversity, inclusion, and professionalism in legal and academic fora. She established the Native American Law Emphasis Program at the University of Idaho College of Law and was the first Indigenous Law Dean in Canada at the Bora Alaskan Faculty of Law, Lakehead University. She is currently a professor and director of the Native American Law and Sovereignty Institute at the Mitchell-Hamlin School of Law in St. Paul, Minnesota. We talk about the tribal officials in northern Wisconsin on Lac du Flambeau Reservation, about the roadblocks they have set up since January 31st. Tribal officials said the roads, which had been there for decades, had been illegally built on tribal lands. They said that the easements for those roads had expired more than 10 years ago and that negotiations broke down over the years with title companies that handled the properties the roads accessed. First of all, let me welcome you to First Voices Radio, Angelique Eaglewoman. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Padama Yaye, for allowing me to join you today. 
My name is Angelique Eaglewoman, Wambidi Awanwichakewashtewian in my Dakota language. I am Sasitawan Wakpetawan Oyate of the Lake Traverse Reservation. The Lake De Flambeau Band of Lake Superior Chippewa have a long history of educating their permanent neighbors on land rights and stewardship. And the tribe here has, as you accurately pointed out, followed the law. The rule of law is supposed to be upheld in the United States and in Wisconsin and have notified all the appropriate parties that rights of way on tribal roads have expired. They expired 10 years ago and they have been fumbling in the Bureau of Indian Affairs. The title companies have used delay tactics. The town board has not been responsive. And so now you have residents, private residents, who have year-round and summer homes in a situation where the tribe has to assert its land ownership, has put up uh, roadblocks, is checking twice daily on all residents who are there during the winter, and has said enough is enough. Um, in September of 2022, they provided a deadline of October 27th to the title companies in the town to respond on the expired right-of-ways. Nothing happened. In that notice, they also let the town and the title companies know here are our options. One is to restrict access. Again, nothing happened. So they set up the barricades January 30th. So they waited several months, gave notice, and we have a U.S. Supreme Court that has used court doctrines in the past. We call it latches, meaning he who sits on his rights loses them. So the tribe can't just let things linger. They have to assert their property rights, and in this instance, they've done so. We've seen tribes do this in the past where they have um, rights to tribal roads and they've done it for public safety reasons like the COVID-19 checkpoints at the Red Lake Nation and also at the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe. We've seen this with the Tohono O'odham, the Seneca Nation at different times where land rights aren't being respected. I'm a law professor and I am contacted to speak on issues of tribal sovereignty throughout the United States, sometimes Canada, and sometimes on international indigenous issues. So what I read was 65 residents were within the confines or the boundaries of the easement. Is that true? So think about a lake area where people have built some um, vacation homes, some year-round homes, like a suburb, but the roads going in are tribal roads. It is within reservation boundaries. And so the residents, as the Lake Du Flambeau band have said, were not adequately informed of the public access issues. And on their website, the tribe has put out a lot of information and encouraged private residents who are within the reservation boundaries to look at the GIS mapping to determine whether or not 
they may be subject to tribal roads that require access rights because the residents are reporting that when they're going to the town to find out that information on their titles, they're not getting uh, they're not getting information. They're being told, look through thousands of documents and the tribe's trying to provide a way forward, even for the residents to understand where they reside. So knowing, knowing this is your representation, what laws take precedent as to why Black Duflambo can actually do this besides non-negotiated easement contracts? So stepping back historically, tribal nations entered into treaties, which are alliance agreements with the United States government to allow permanent neighbor status for U.S. citizens so that we have neighbors now that are permanent. And the Lac du Flambeau Band entered into treaties in 1837 and 1842. And within the reservation boundaries, there have been allotments that the United States authorized under the General Allotment Act. And we say that that's the law that violated all the treaties in the United States because the president went in and broke the reserved lands in the treaties. So dealing with that situation, the tribe is in a posture of educating residents on reservations who are not familiar with tribal law or understand the treaty relationship. And that's a failure of public education. That's a failure that I see in my law school classrooms when students entering the law school in the first class they take on Native American law is the first time they know anything about tribal governments, which is ridiculous in 2023. Mm-hmm. So the Lac du Flambeau Band of Lake Superior Chippewa Indians understands they have permanent neighbors. They've been working with these neighbors for a long time to try to educate them. And we have private companies, these title companies that come in and buy up the non-Indian portions of the reservation and then develop these um, housing areas and they're responsible for ensuring the right-of-ways don't expire. The tribe has offered 25-year easements. The title companies are holding out and wanting perpetual non-ending easements and the tribe says no. The tribe is also saying at this point as a negotiation that they're owed $20 million for the 10 years of legal fees they've put into trying to get the right-of-ways back into the correct legal status. The title companies are attempting to only negotiate with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and asking the Bureau of Indian Affairs to set the rate for the right-of-way easements. And the tribe is correctly noting that under the Code of Federal Regulations, 25 parts, CFR Part 169, the tribe determines the rate. And what we've seen over and over again with the Bureau of Indian Affairs, unfortunately, as the trustee for tribal lands, is that they have used rock bottom rates to lease out our lands and our property rights, often below federal rates. And so... The tribe is rightly saying we have our own attorneys and we set our own rates. And until we have a good faith offer, the tribal uh, blockage on these roads will stay in place. It's for tribal roads. 
this uh, forgetting to renew the, the lease or the easement um, agreements with these corporations or companies. And you mentioned, I meant reading Chicago Title Insurance Company, First American Title Insurance Company. And the roadblocks are mainly for them to bring attention. And I'm hearing it in, in what I read also. It's really dismissing any rights of Native peoples who actually live the place or occupy, in this case, uh, own, in a sense. But deeper than that, it comes from the age-old story since 1492. It's all about dispossession, it seems like. Would you speak a bit, a little bit about that? So in essence, by continuing to use tribal roads without legal right-of-way easements in place and paid for, this is squatters. This is just simply going in and staking claim to native lands. The tribe really has no other recourse here except to attempt to use the law and establish its physical ownership of the land. And they have been very patient and very forthright and sent numerous letters to the town's attorney, the title company's attorney. They've asked the Bureau of Indian Affairs to do their due diligence. And this is a situation they find themselves in. It's not the rule of law. It's not what you expect from any business entity in 2023. So then we look at, is this animus? Is this racially driven anti-tribal sentiment? And unfortunately, we've seen echoes of that before. And particularly with this tribe, the Lac du Flambeau Band um, has experienced treaty rights abuse in the 1990s when they were spearfishing. So the band's name comes from the way in which they fished at night with um, torches in their lakes. And, you know, it's it's actually really beautiful to watch. And so um, when they were exercising their treaty rights, they were harassed, violently harassed, so much so that they had to go to federal court and seek um, a permanent injunction under a law, 42 USC section 1982, where you have to prove that you've been, your property rights have been interfered with and the same right as it is enjoyed by white citizens to use your property. And so they used that kind of civil rights statute back then just to exercise treaty rights. So we have to, again, look at this history in Wisconsin of not respecting tribal rights and being the good permanent neighbors the United States said they would be. In the treaties signed with the United States, there were guarantees of perpetual peace and friendship. From a tribal perspective, we have a kinship worldview. And our ancestors, our tribal leaders, when they entered into those treaty agreements, had a long history of entering into alliances and confederacies with each other and taking adult adults as relatives, adopting them in, 
bringing them into our trade networks. That's what our tribal leaders did when they entered into treaties with the United States. And what we're seeing now, this many years later, is the United States not educating its citizens and its component state governments on perpetual peace and friendship and the ways in which they guarantee to our leaders for the session, the purchase of millions of acres of our land that they would treat us properly with respect in a kinship alliance. And so it's really disappointing to see this. And we do have laws in place and legal counsel on both sides are engaged in this. And at the bottom of it all is tribal sovereignty. The tribe's not going anywhere. The treaties were entered into the tribal up you know, uphold its end of the promises, and we have permanent neighbors. And so it's time to end the racial animus or whatever disrespect is going on here and come to the negotiation table in good faith. And that's what the tribe has said. Until we receive a good faith offer, the tribal barricades are not coming down. One thing I'm wondering, how many miles or yards is the tribe putting up barriers for how much land is that the amount of road you know there you got the whole united states and you have a tiny island of reservation like du flambeau and there's only we're talking a small amount of roads i think what i'm reading is it's like 2600 yards or something like that um the, the streets that they have blocked off i mean that would bring it into focus as to imagining you know the <laughs> Having a tiny little tribe fight legally for a little piece of land, it doesn't make sense. So the tribe has sent out information on February 9th, 2023, saying that the tribe now has a 12 by 12 square mile reservation, greatly diminished from their ancestral land base. And in 2018, we see the town's attorney sending a letter to the tribe's lawyer noting that the right-of-way for Center Sugarbrist, Center Sugarbrist Lane, for East Ross Allen Lake Lane, for Elsie Lake Lane. So for these three roads, this right of access to these uh, private residential areas. So these aren't very big roads, but they are important. They are part of the tribal land base and they are important to the residents who are at, are wanting to access those roads. So what what do we do? What, are, what is your work to do to inform um, people like myself, people on the tribe, people in the township, other lawyers? And where do we go from here, so to speak? The tribe is on solid legal ground. This is their land, they own it. To have access across anyone else's privately owned land, you must pay for an easement. The title companies are trying to get away with not paying for right-of-ways, which are required for all property in the United States. Mm -hmm. This isn't hard to figure out. This isn't difficult to understand. This is common property use 101. 
and these private title companies are well aware of the need for easements when they're crossing someone else's land. One one more thought is, um, Angelique, is you say $20 million the tribe is seeking for the exceeded past precedent. Also, that the town chairman sent a letter um, to the amount of revenue it received from a tax on the roads this past 10 years and going forward. But they only suggested 64000 for the last 10 years. Why such a big difference? The tribe is saying that it's more than the town. It's also the title companies that owe fees and costs. And the tribe has put together a calculation showing how much they've spent in legal fees and in time dedicated for the past 10 years to resolve this issue. And so they do have a public statement um, dated February 9th, 2023 on their website, and they explain why they came to that figure. Well, thank you. Um, I'm not too sure if I asked the right questions and I probably repeated some things, Angelique, but I think, you know, just bringing it to the commoners knowledge that other things are happening elsewhere rather than just in New York state itself. Um, And this continues and people want to see it to go away. They don't want to read about the news, but fortunately for me, it's in the news. So we can talk about modern day treatment of native people in our own country, so to speak. But I thank you for making these points, and I think we'll pay attention to more. I'm very interested in how it's going to come out. And thank you for, for your holding your classes at, at the Hamlin College School of Law. Thanks so much. So as a legal educator, I'm a law professor and the director of the New American Law and Sovereignty Institute mm-hmm. at Mitchell Hamlin School of Law. And near and dear to my heart is educating both Native and non-Natives who are future lawyers because these issues are not gonna go away and we need an educated public to be able to make sure that we don't get into these long-term stalemates when the law is clear. Thank you for being here and uh, it's good for us to, to talk like this and thanks for being there, Angelique. Thank you, Padamayaye. Thank you. Doksha. Doksha.
Watching the horizon as you remember the yesteryears. Wide awake one day, I will see the sun beyond the pines by the water. You will stand beside us all just as we did before. She will lick the essence of cedar and pine, fulfilling everything you imagined, not longing nor wishing under the shade of history. song you just heard was Shades of History featuring Purifei Cression. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. You are listening to First Voices Radio. We'll return to you soon enough. To good feelings in my heart to all of you. The majority of our feelings, of our thought processes, are coming from a place that is new to the, the Western way. And therefore, the thoughts which are so earth distanced from how to behave, how to respect, how to relate with the earth. That the earth is the medicine, that the earth is the medicine. So that even the concept of humanity um, is a Western thought. Because our community is all nature. You cannot just say humans matter. When you say oyate, it's just not the humans. Oyate. 
this is why America, there's everybody in it, but the native people are squeezed into little boxes called reservations. Because we have room for everybody. We have room. We have room. Because English and all the Romance languages don't have room for the indigenous have native room. people. We have room. thinking about ceremonies that I've been through. You know, being a sun dancer, going through the wiping the tears ceremony. Something has to touch your heart. Touch your heart. Heart. Rather than discard this, I think they're far ahead. So I say, spend time not thinking. Spend time not thinking. Spend time not thinking. You know, spend time not thinking. Do the real thinking right here. Hey, y'all. Thank you for returning to First Voices Radio. My name is Teokasen Ghost Horse. Tiffany Midge is enrolled with the Standing Rock Sioux Nation and grew up in the Pacific Northwest. She's a former humorous columnist for Indian Country Today and currently writes for High Country News. Tiffany has published work in The New Yorker, McSweeney's, First American Art Magazine, World Literature Today, Yes Magazine, The Spokesman Review, The Inlander, and more. And her book, which we'll be discussing today, Bury My Heart at Chuck E. Cheese. Did I say that right? Bury My Heart at Chucky E. Cheese's, published by the University of Nebraska Press, was a finalist for a Washington State Book Award. Tiffany's writing has received a Pushcart Prize, the Kenyan Review Indigenous Poetry Prize, a Western Heritage Award, the Diane Decora Memorial Poetry Award, Submittables Eliza So Fellowship, and Assignments Public Humanities Fellowship. Tiffany resides in northern Idaho, homelands of the Nimi Ipu'u. And for more information, find Tiffany at tiffanymidge.wixsite.com. Tiffanymidge at wixsite.com. Yeah, we pull into town, we talk to Tiffany Midge, and I want to welcome you to First Voices Radio, Tiffany. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, how are you today on this I'm, Valentine's Day? <laughs> Valentine's, I won't be buying chocolates, I know that. For, <laughs> I have to make a cake later. Oh. I have to make a heart-shaped cake later. I'm having Valentine's Day because I'm I'm recently been put out to pasture. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm celebrating alone. <laughs> oh, I get it. So... <laughs> so where did I put the book? Right here. You know, I was looking at it. I have, my markers are weird. I have a comb in one place. I have a comb in one place. And I have a ragged note notepad and I have a pen in another place. That that's These are my markers. You know, maybe I should go to buy some regular mark, book markers. But this is, this is what it is. And I was thinking about how much humor can we afford in a world that doesn't seem to accept humor as it is, we have to kind of use others at an expense to garner a laugh or something like that. 
I mean, it's touch and go. It depends on the situation. There's that whole idea about punching down. And that would be like punching like people that are less, you know, privileged than we are, or the downtrodden, as it were. And then there's this idea of punching up against institutions and people like, you know, Trump, things like that. Um, we have a lot of like corrupt kinds of institutions and things that don't make much sense in the world. And so when we're punching up, that's that's what where we get the relief from. And that's where we educate people. At least that's how I see it. No, that's a good way to see it. And beginning from just thought, well, what kind of book is this going to be? And I, but for me, it's, uh, you know, when, when you started with the headlines and using different times and scenarios with your grandmother wing's funeral and what i like was the one mm -hmm. where you talked about the t-shirt instead of a raised by wolves t-shirt mine says raised by functional alcoholics with intimacy phobias and low self-esteem I had to. I could make me breathe. I could breathe. So, I want to do it that way. Plus, you can tell I'm a little excited and don't know what type of questions I should be asking here. Yeah. Um. Well, I just let me circle back when you said that the title was offensive. Um. I kind of. I I think it's important for people to know that. Um. That the the title that it's based off of the bury my heart at wounded knee. I'm, I'm not making fun of, you know, Wounded Knee. Um, that title was based on a poem from the early part of the last century um, by a white man. And, um, and then the V. Brown book, um, the famous V. Brown book that's been sold to you know, millions and millions of copies worldwide and is still in circulation. Um, that is like a story that I just felt like I needed to kind of write the path because I mean, as, as horrific and horrible as that story is and, and how, you know, necessary it is for people to know that history at the same time, that book is like, pre it presents Indians as if we're fatal, as if we're long gone, buried and forgotten. And it's like, it represents, you know, this genocide and we're not, we're not all gone and we're not, we're not fatalistic. I mean, we have this like living and breathing and vibrant culture. And I mean, I'm still alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you're still alive. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of living, you know, living Indians still. And so I kind of, I needed to like kind of, you know, reinstate the record a little bit there by by just bringing that title up and poking fun at it um and then also just the fact that you know if if somebody had actually said those words if a native person had actually said you know bury my heart it wounded me i don't think that i would have you know i, I would not have lampooned that but that was not a statement that anyone, any Indian person had ever made at any point in time. That was based on a poem by a white man. Um, and then, of course, the famous Buffy St. Marie song as well. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to to get that off the get, get that part off my chest, because a lot of people are like, oh, my God, that's so profane 
to point, you know, to put, you know, poke fun at something like that. But um, the Chuck E. Cheese is a sacred institution, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and it was either it was either, you know, Chuck E. Cheese or the Cracker Barrel, very <laughs> at the Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Um, or it was uh, the Cheesecake Factory, which is another <laughs> sacred institution, um, the way that I see it. So <laughs> any one of those would have worked just fine. But, you know, when it comes to a big rat, I mean, that's, yeah, that's something that I needed to, like, bring about. Um, yeah, so that's part of the part of it. I have a, a very long tangent just about the title. <laughs> no, that's perfect because I was thinking, you know, after I read it once, but for its content, because I had to read it for school, and then I read it on my own again. I was like, how come I don't feel like what it says? And, uh -huh. and the other one was, wow, that's that's what the white man holds up as who we're supposed uh -huh. to be, but we are not. That's the reason. And how yeah. many of us Native peoples, and I'm glad you said you lampooned it, Lampoon it. How many of us Native people have been colonized enough to believe that's what we should act like, think like, and be like as they tell us to be like? Which is leading us to accepting land acknowledgement because that's the trend, as you know. Because mm -hmm. I'm seeing it like, oh, we acknowledge you were here, like you mentioned, we're in the past. So, <laughs> but that's that's the tip of the iceberg. The rest they don't want to talk about. The the things that happened to us. Land acknowledgement. You used to be here, but we own we own the land now. <laughs> I know, I know. I always want people just to give me the deed to their house. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that's nice. Can I just have your house? <laughs> that would be yep. great. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, not even putting up a teepee in your backyard. It, it's the land. We want our house. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. I want stainless steel appliances and a granite countertop and walk-in closets. Thanks. <laughs> and a self-cleaning robot on the floor, right? One of That's, those? Yes, a self-cleaning robot. It's very traditional. Yes. Uh, yeah, we, we, we put the back on it just in case for good measure. <laughs> very, very good. Now, land acknowledgments. I mean... People are still doing land acknowledgments and they're they're embedded now in these corporate, you know, corp, big corporations are they're embedded in their whole mission statements now and universities. They're embedded in the, you know, their mission statements. And I mean, I, I think it's interesting to know whose land in which those institutions lie. Um, a lot of times the institutions like universities are they're lying upon seated you know, land, ceded territories, land that was like, you know, taken from, you know, natives and they placed this institution on it. And they're still doing a lot of, you know, um, they're still paying them back for a lot of those. Um, and some of them, of course, aren't. Authentic accounts of American what is that? History Hang on just a second. Either in pictographs or in translated. Hang on just a second. My laptop went off. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I mean, I get it. We're getting an explanation there. Right. Yeah. Um, mm. but yeah, that's a very, I, I need <clears throat> to write something about land acknowledgements. That's, you know, there's been a couple of things. I think Howie, um, I think it was Howie Echohawk. Um, he wrote <laughs> this really, this wonderful, scathing, hilarious article 
about um, about land acknowledgements. That was just hilarious. I think that's who did it. Anyway, but you can look that up. I really liked that one. <laughs> that was the one yeah. that I wanted to write. <laughs> one of the reviews I read, plus, of course, reading as much as I could, is these these, I wouldn't say complication, but sophistication of the complication of identity and race, right? And the politics that we we almost are forced to believe in, live in. It's like, okay, I'm put, putting my, my, my suit of colonialism and going out into the world and get back and, you know, we're saging ourselves down or something just to, to get through the day. And... <laughs> instead of all these books that I have behind me, like they're all, yeah, nice and nice, but I searched for the one that is written by Vine Deloria Jr. For me, that's the serious thing, but it's like I have to look for Native people in this area and make an appointment with them with them to have a cup of coffee. That's how rare mm-hmm. to me this, this book, and I've forgotten humor, and this is what it's reminding me of. This is I've forgotten humor. Um, oh, but yeah, I've forgotten put, it a little bit too, just in the last few weeks. Uh, that's right. You know. Being set out to pasture, I've sort of lost my sense of humor just a little bit. But yesterday I, I regained it. I actually like, you know, reestablished this it because our toilet broke. My toilet broke. Oh yes. And so I got to poop in a bucket. My yeah. my landlord yeah. my landlord said that I could put the pee in the backyard. Um, but I said, just the pee, <laughs> like, I was really looking forward to like slinging my poo over the side of the hill with a uh-huh. spatula. Anyway, for some reason that just, that made me laugh uproariously yesterday. And that was a very needed and necessary laugh. And I don't normally laugh about, you know, that scat humor or whatever, but I think it was just the idea of, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, re- I, it was good to laugh. So I'm not yeah. going to judge. I'm not going to judge my my base humor, <laughs> but it was felt really good to laugh. <laughs> That's funny. It reminds it reminds me of one of the stories you have in the beginning, uh, third or fourth of a book about the plunger. I think it was oh, with. No. Uh, I think it was with Jimmy. Jimmy the 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 wild one. I think one. it was like when I was visiting in Thailand. Oh yes, in Thailand. I, yeah. I just have this really long, like, sorted experience with plungers and everywhere that I've ever lived or gone to. I just have, I always end up with a story about a plunger. Like, wow. I went to the University of Kansas and I didn't have a plunger. And it's just, I, I don't know, it's just really weird. And then I come here to this new apartment that I'm staying in and I don't have a plunger that's working. It's just really <laughs> weird and funny and completely ridiculous. Like I said, my mother would be mortified. She's like, "Don't talk that way." <laughs> did did you think you got that. some? Did you get? Do you think you got your humor from your your mother? Because that is just it, it captured me. And I'm reading on to this. You think you did that? You got your humor from your mother? Well, I don't. I suppose I did. My mom was a really huh. funny lady, and my grandmothers huh. were extremely funny. And I have two different. Sides, I have like German immigrant side, oh. and then I have you know a Norwegian and things like that, and then I have my my mom's side, and both both of those sides are actually really funny. Yeah. Um. Not the Norwegians though. <laughs> <laughs> and they were terrible. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Um, I wanted to go back just in a serious moment about, you know, the the Super Bowl that happened a couple of days ago. Um, and, and I don't watch a Super Bowl because I refer to it as a Super Bowel, that what comes out of that. And Speaking <laughs> to, of, yeah. The plunger moments is that, <laughs> yes, they I hear that they introduced land acknowledgement at in wherever they had the Super Bowl. And the next moment you're seeing a Kansas City Chiefs fan using the tomahawk chop. Oh, is that what happened? Oh my gosh. That's yeah. what everyone's talking about. I haven't gotten around to reading up on those things. Um, yeah. Wow. Oh, that's yeah. really sad. I know. It's um, just like, how can we lampoon that, you know? Oh, I'll have to. I'll have to get around to that. Yeah, that's really, really, that's quite bad. That's a major, like, cringe moment there. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, Not the Kansas City. Uh, uh, yes. I mean, you know, what they represent, whatever. But, you know, I used to be a football fan. Now I'm kind of like phasing out of that type point in my life. And I'm, I'm kind of rallying behind nature, being the good Indian type of thing. But I realized that's where I came from, how I grew up, right? It was riding horses on the plains of Dakota. And that's nice. me. That's who I am. And now I'm in the mountains of the East Coast. And, like, this is a funny situation creator placed me in. And, and I think we're placed where you said you're, you're with of many a mixed heritage. But you're placed mm-hmm. where you are right there in, in the Northwest Coast. And out of that, like, how did I hear about bury my heart at Chuck E. Cheese's and thought, you know, I really didn't think it was offensive. I thought it was a, my traditional mind, if I was stuck in that time period, would say that's that's being disrespectful. But I wanted to go because I saw through that you said it was Chuck E. Cheese's was sacred. <laughs> <laughs> that's a reminder because I think I've been to one Chuck E. Cheese's yeah, in my life. But well, no. you must go. <laughs> I must go again and really feel go. the, maybe I'll Maybe I'll bring the book with me and order whatever I need to order and sit down and read the rest of it by showing people I'm reading it. Oh, but, nice. <laughs> yes, do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, how did you run across the, the book um, all the way to in New York? For some reason, I, it is popular in New York. I don't, It yeah. seems really odd to me. Because it's such a West Coast kind of experience. Yeah, I think because there's natives here too. I think that's there part are? of it. Yeah, and I'm I'm always in New York? As you say, always there there are places not in the city because I used to live in the city, but on the outskirts skirts, and we have to go look for each other and call each other to have a cup of coffee. <laughs> but I find what we're doing is doing what you do, as you say, chastising hipsters. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's definitely a hobby of mine too. Yeah, especially in New York, right? <laughs> oh yes, I think that's why it's popular here, and I think we're going to continue to read it. What what do you find? There are symptoms of not having. Can I say it this way? There's symptoms of not having humor, and to me, this little bit about this book senses that, and it, it's filling in the empty spaces that no humor is creating. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Sure. Sure. I mean, I, there's not, a, when you think of Native American literature, you don't normally think of humor. I mean, if you're an insider, you, you, you know that there's a lot of humor to be had. 
but if you're sort of an outsider coming new into Native American literature and Native American issues and history and all of that, you don't normally go, oh, yeah, they're such a funny people. It's just, like I said, it's the bury my heart at wounded knee. And that's like the first, that's the default, you know, that, that we're a, a tragic, fatal people. And I'm really glad to, you know, shine a light on that. And I'm glad that comedy is sort of, you know, making its entrance into the mainstream with, you know, media and, mm-hmm. and television, you know, like Res Dogs and you know, Rutherford Falls and those types of things. And a lot of Native American comedians, many of whom you know, I admire very much. Um, and it's just really exciting for me to see that happening right now. I mean, we had Charlie Hill. Right. I mean, that was kind of for my generation. We had Charlie Hill (laughs) and and uh, I'm so sorry that he's gone because he would be absolutely thrilled to see, you know, all of this emergence, you know, this like renaissance of Native American humor. Um, And it's yeah. So it's great to carry on that kind of that tradition um, in, in the mass media and have that presence in the mass media. One yeah. thing you reminded me of was was when you mentioned Chief Bromden from One Flew Over the Kikuku's Nest. He right. was funny. He was funny in that, yet serious at the same time. You could not take him, yeah. you know, as, as seriously as you could, yet you had to because it was underneath all of that. Um, that got to me this, why aren't we hearing the story, even if it's a serious, but also the true facts of... There is native humor that is much different, and that's why I referred to it as, as we kept each other in check on the reservations, and that was good because we, we always worked on our ego. Not to we needed to be related in relationship with others, and that's how we do it. Sometimes it went too far, but still, it was about keeping the humor. Yeah. Yeah, wow. in, like the, in the sad situations, and I think that's how I was brought up too was, you know, just lightening the mood, Uh, you know, my mom, you know, not taking everything so seriously um, and not taking ourselves so seriously, you know, in certain situations. And, you know, humor comes out of a lot of different places. I mean, you know, trauma, people have that have been raised in trauma, they're kind of the funniest of all, because, I mean, there's that aspect of, you know, not just the healing aspect but we use humor to like deflect and and avoid you know those kind of feelings um and so it's very you know this it's it comes up through trauma you know sort of you know dysfunction too Mm -hmm. which is sort of the the other side to it but so what you know i I just they always say that the the best humorists are the ones that have a dark side you know, you yes. see all of these like major comics, you know, that have these depressive illnesses, you know, like there was Robin Williams and, you know, and, and his unfortunate end. And a lot of comics, you know, have a lot of darkness. Yeah. Um, and so it's really interesting. I'm not saying that I'm dark. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you're not. You're not. <laughs> I'm not. I don't, I don't have, you know, a, a, yeah. you know, checkered past or anything, but right. I mean, I haven't, it hasn't always been daisies, you know, and pony clubs growing up, you know, I I didn't spend my whole life at the country club at the pool. Um, (laughs) 
So there's definitely, you know, some, some darkness there that that's born out of that. So maybe it's the fact that the happiest people aren't funny. (laughs) You know, they say Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. And I I think there's a dystopian side to that. I think that Mickey Mouse and Goofy were probably raised in very, very dark times. Oh. That's just a joke, and I'm rambling. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that that's good. It's 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 the book. It's what it is. And and just for closing the statements here because of time, is that I'm glad that you're there, and I want to read more from you. I know you have more out there. Thank you for the work you've been doing, um, disrupting as one place said, disrupting the colonial narrative because that's what yeah. it's doing. Yeah, I'm happy to disrupt pretty much anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm down. I'm down for that. (laughs) No, thank you, Tiffany Midge, for this this book, Bury My Heart at Chuck E. Cheese's. Um, (laughs) And Gary Hobson's, who does the foreword, really, really put it in perspective for me to open up to read it. So you can tell him that. Very good. Yes. Yes, he did a wonderful job. What I'm going to do on, on the outtake of this later, um, I'm going to read the Ars Poetica by Donald J. Trump, but I need your permission to do that. Oh. <laughs> or if you want to read it, if you want to, if you want to read it. Oh, no, go cool. ahead. You can read it. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll do that at another time. But I want to thank you for, for being here. Doksha Ake Wachinktelo. Thank you. It's really good to have you here. Honor. Um, and thank you for, for letting me laugh and just like almost bring tears to my eyes because I'm going to finish reading this. It's great. It was wonderful to meet you too. I, I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. I'm going to go back and remark the place with my comb. My comb has missed my teeth. <laughs> and so there we go. Great, great. Thank you, Tiffany. <laughs> awesome. Be well. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. So once again, I want to thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio with our two guests, Angelique Eagle Woman, first half of First Voices Radio, and for the second half was Tiffany Midge from the Standing Rock Lakota Reservation. This is First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. Thanks again. See you soon or later.
returns the prodigal sons The black-eyed hearts, the flower news The school designs upon 